This sermon was recorded at Highway Mountain View in Mountain View, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. Good morning, everybody. Great to see all of you. Welcome to the Highway Community. We're glad that you are worshiping with us this morning. Last week, we started out this space. I gave you an update on Bob Logan, Bob's longtime staff member of the church uh, community Bible church that was here before uh, it merged with the highway community in 2005 and then a part of our staff for the last 12 years. Uh, Last week I gave you all an update that Bob uh, had had an opportunity, a room became available in a Christian care home in Modesto near uh, the home of one of Hemaline's sons and uh, so they were able to move him uh, into that home last Saturday and uh, because that room became available, and so Bob very quickly departed for us. Yesterday morning, I received a call from Moline at about 10.30 uh, with the news that Bob had entered into the presence of Jesus uh, earlier that night at 2.30 in the morning, very peacefully uh, in his sleep. And uh, while it's certainly a tremendously sad time for Moline, and there have been a lot of tears for her, uh, there have been some uh, really wonderful ways that she has seen God at work through all of this process. Even uh, just yesterday, or even Saturday evening at dinner time, she was with Bob at the home and had the chance to feed Bob uh, dinner that night, after which uh, they had a really sweet conversation, uh, during which Bob was very present and aware and alert and thoughtful of Willene. And that has not always been the case in the last few weeks and months. And so, uh, and so that was a real gift. And then uh, in addition to that, one of, the, uh, one of the things that happens in this Christian care home is that uh, the owner of the home every night uh, goes around and reads scripture and prays with all of the residents. And uh, Saturday evening before bed, um, uh, he read Psalm 23 with Bob as he, as he prayed with him. And that was a great, uh, really comfort for Willene as well. Um, Bob absolutely embodied uh, what it means to be a faithful servant. Uh, and, and I can imagine Jesus greeting him with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, there's going to be a memorial service uh, to remember and celebrate Bob's life. It's tentatively scheduled for February 7th. Uh, more details about the time and what and, and other things will be emerging and we'll be sharing those with you as they become available as well as ways uh, that you might be able to help out with various things. Some people have already asked about that. So we'll make that available to you. But if you want to bookmark that date in your mind, if you would like to be a part of that celebration, um, we would love to have you for that. And, uh, and please do be uh, continuing to pray for Willene as well. Um, as, uh, as she has uh, uh, recognizes and sees God's timing, she recognizes and sees all the, uh, the incredible gifts that were a part of yesterday. She's thankful that uh, Bob is at home with God and at peace, uh, but there still are many tears, so please do be holding her in your prayers. Last week, um, we began putting together an album for Bob and Willene because their departure was so was uh, was in such haste. We didn't really have a chance to say a proper goodbye and thank you to them as a community. Uh, we're going to continue to put that together. I think it will be a tremendous gift and blessing to Willene. And so if you have something that you would like to write or share, a memory of Bob, something you're grateful for, uh, if you'd like to express your thoughts and sentiments to Willene 
outside in the courtyard at the, uh, at, at the table. There's some cardstock. You can write a note, and we'll be putting those together with some pictures. Uh, and I think that'll be a, a gift that's much appreciated by Willene. So please do take a moment and write something on your way out this morning. And uh, why don't we take a moment, and let's, uh, let's pray for the Logans. Lord, we hold up our friends this morning, the Logans. Our hearts break for Willene and for the family. But God, we are also at the same time so grateful and thankful for your goodness, for your mercy, for your grace, and Lord, for, uh, for your promise of eternal life. And that's a life that not only affects us today as we journey on this earth, but also a life that uh, is everlasting with you forever. And we are grateful, God, that, God, that Bob uh, is at home with you today. Uh, that he is in your presence, and that, uh, that he is, is in your peace. We thank you, Lord, for the example of faithful service that Bob has been, for the many people that he has blessed and lives that he has touched as he has served you and served our community. And we, we are grateful for Willene um, for the very same things. And Lord, we ask that you would wrap your arms around Willene, um, that, you would, uh, that you would hold her and that you, the God of all comfort, would, would comfort her during this season, that you would comfort the family during this season, that you would comfort us during this season. And Lord, would you be uh, showing us the ways that we can surround uh, Willene as a, uh, as a community um, and support her um, in her loss. Uh, so God, we are, uh, we are eternally grateful for you. We're eternally grateful for the life that we have through your son, Jesus. Uh, and we thank you, Lord, just for the way that we can see your, your, uh, your fingerprints um, so unmistakably um, in the events of the last week and even the last few hours, and, and we are grateful for that. We love you, Father. We thank you for, for being our good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are continuing our teaching series rooted in 1 John, uh, where we are looking together at the marks of an authentic follower of Jesus. And 1 John, remember, uh, is a letter that was written to a church community that was struggling. Right? And their struggle uh, was an internal struggle. There was a group of people who had left the community because of some differing beliefs about Jesus. And, and in the midst of all of the conflict and the confusion created by the challenges to those core beliefs, John is trying to encourage and, and, and reaffirm uh, for those in his community who had remained faithful to the community. He's trying to encourage and reaffirm the marks of an authentic follower of Jesus. Now, last week, we saw John reinforcing the core truth that living in Jesus involves living as Jesus lived. That following Jesus involves walking as Jesus walked. And we saw last time that at the very foundation of that is love. That the authenticating evidence of living in Jesus is the love for others. And that was something that John was not seeing from this group that had left the community. Right? They were not embodying God's love in the way that they were handling this disagreement. 
And this morning, as we continue on in 1 John, and, and, we, and as we get some more insight into the nature of this conflict that was happening in the church community and that was threatening the church community, we're going to see today that another mark of an authentic follower of Jesus is discernment. An authentic follower of Jesus is discerning. Now, last time, we talked a bit about John's writing style. John's style, we noted last week, is very direct. And John is also fond of using language that is very black and white as well. We saw an example of that in verses 10 and 11 of 1 John chapter 2, where he says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Right? Love and light, hate and darkness. John uses those terms as polar opposites of one another. You either love or you hate. You're either living in the light or you're living in the darkness. Right? And that kind of very stark drawing of contrast right, in such absolute terms definitely has a way of, of getting our attention as readers. And that is precisely what John is trying to do with this kind of language. And as we move into this morning's text, uh, we are immediately going to see John turning all of that language up a notch or five. Take a look with me at 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. It's hard not to notice, again, the very strong, absolute kind of language that John uses there. And it definitely creates and makes us feel a sense of urgency. Right? This is the last hour, John says. And it's the last hour because many antichrists have come. Right? That is John's term of endearment, incidentally, right? for this group of people that he says in verse 19 went out from us. Right? They are antichrists, which is to say they are opposed, anti to Jesus. And John, of course, is very intentionally using all of that language to underscore the magnitude of this catastrophe that is happening in his community. Now, when John talks about the last days here, he's not speaking chronologically. He is speaking theologically. Right, as John talks about the last days, he's not speaking chronologically, he's speaking theologically. Right, the early Christians, the people that, were, that comprised the community that John is writing to, understood Jesus' first coming, right, which we just celebrated not too many weeks ago now during Christmas. Right, the early Christians understood Jesus' first coming as a time of massive change. Right? It initiated, Jesus' coming initiated a totally new, totally unparalleled period when the knowledge of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the defeat of Satan were palpable. And so the early Christians 
talked about this era in terms of the last days. And it was talked about that way because for them, all that was left for history to culminate was for Jesus to return a second time, which would complete this amazing era that had begun. Now, Jesus told his disciples, you might remember, in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, that no one knows the times or dates that the Father has set aside by his own authority. And so Jesus was clear that the timing of his return would be unknown. But despite the fact that the timing was unknown, Jesus did talk about certain things that would be signs of his return. He said that there would be false messiahs and false prophets who would appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. And Jesus urged his followers as a result of that to keep watch and be alert. And so there was was definitely a sense that the last hour was going to be a time that would be marked by great discord. And John is very intentionally invoking all of that here. He definitely wants his church community to see that what they were experiencing in this conflict reeked of the kinds of things that Jesus had warned about. And that is why this is so urgent. And so this is a very important time. It's a very important moment for this church community. And in the verses that follow, we see John encouraging them and equipping them uh, to successfully navigate this crisis in which they find themselves. Look with me at verse 20 of 1 John chapter 2. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. So John begins there, we see, by reassuring the embattled members of his community that they are protected by the anointing that they have from the Holy One. He reminds them very simply that they have the Holy Spirit and they know the truth. And that connection there between the Holy Spirit and the truth is a connection that has its roots, actually, uh, in John's Gospel, which, by the way, was the foundational text for this community's understanding of Jesus. Now, of the four stories of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament, John's Gospel is the mystical one. John's Gospel talks about life in Jesus in terms of things like rebirth, and drinking living water, and eating the bread of life. And through all of that, we have this emphasis in John's gospel. John's gospel encourages a profound relationship with God that is marked by mystical experiences of faith. And central to all of that is the Holy Spirit. John chapters 13 through 17 are known as the Upper Room Discourse. And those chapters recount Jesus' final conversation with his disciples. They recount his final words to his disciples prior to his betrayal and his arrest and his crucifixion. And one of the things that Jesus talks about in depth during that upper room discourse is the Holy Spirit. And he tells his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 16, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And so Jesus assures his disciples there that the Father will send them another advocate. And notice that Jesus calls that advocate the spirit of truth. All right, he then goes on to say in John chapter 14, verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will teach his disciples all things and will remind them of everything that he had said. And then he says in John chapter 16, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now, all of that is significant because it undergirds the encouragement that John is giving to his community here in 1 John chapter 2. And that connection between the spirit and the truth that John is making in 1 John chapter 2 that reaches back to John's gospel, that connection between the spirit and the truth is paramount. The role of the Holy Spirit is to guide Jesus' followers into all the truth. And Jesus, remember, is the embodiment of the truth. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so Jesus is the truth. He is the truth embodied in a person. And all of that means, very importantly, that the Holy Spirit, because of the Holy Spirit's role, as Jesus describes it, and because of Jesus being the truth, the Holy Spirit will always be pointing to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will always be pointing to Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit will always align with the revelation that we have in Jesus. And that truth provides the foundation for John to dig into the false teaching of his opponents. Look at verse 22 of 1 John 2. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Right? And so we see there that this group that had left the community was doubting and disputing that Jesus, right, the man who had come into this world from Nazareth, was the Christ. Right? They, were, they were denying that Jesus, the person, was in fact God's anointed one. And there's some more evidence for this later on in 1 John chapter 4, where John writes, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Right, so it appears that from these verses, one foundational teaching that this group had drifted away from was the idea of God becoming flesh 
in the person of Jesus. Right? They have, appear to have rejected the idea of Jesus being a person, of the Christ being a person. And not only is that you know, diametrically opposed from the core teaching of John's gospel, right, which begins right, with this amazing theological treatise about Jesus being God, being with God from the moment of creation, and then coming down to dwell with us so that we could see God's very nature. Not only does it, is it diametrically opposed from that teaching, which would have been at the core of this community, but it's also really dangerous. Right? Because if Jesus didn't come in an historic moment of time and space, then truth is no longer anchored in any kind of objective reality. It's no longer anchored in history. It's no longer anchored in the person of Jesus. Instead, it's totally subjective. And that is what John wants his community to see. Right? This group has detached themselves from Jesus, and therefore, they have detached themselves from the truth. They have detached themselves from Jesus, and they have therefore detached themselves from the truth, and that makes them the ones who are the liars. Now, something that's interesting to notice in all of this, I think, is the way that John approaches this conflict. Because John's community was oriented around the spirit, and because these opponents were claiming to have the authority of the spirit behind their beliefs, right? because they were claiming that their move away from orthodox beliefs and practices was a result of a personal revelation from the spirit, right? because of that context, John does not spend any time Right, trying to assert his own authority as an apostle as he tries to mediate this and guide his community through it. Right, John does not try to throw his weight around uh, like Paul did when he was confronting the Judaizers in Galatia. John doesn't even try to do that, and he doesn't do it because it's useless. Right, if you've ever been in a conflict with someone who justifies their position by saying, God told me so, uh, then, then you may have experienced the difficulty in trying to do that. That was effectively what was going on here. And so John doesn't try to throw his apostolic weight around. What he does instead is he tries to guide his community through this by equipping them to be discerning. John equips his followers to be discerning. And in the verses that follow here in 1 John 2, he shares two things that are integral to exercising discernment. We see the first in verse 24. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Like we saw last week, we see John again here calling his community to hold on to what they had heard from the beginning. Right? We see him calling his community to hold on to, to stay rooted in the scriptures, to stay rooted in Jesus's person, rooted in Jesus's life, rooted in Jesus's teaching, because that is ultimately what will keep them connected to the truth. 
right? The scriptures, those things that they have heard from the beginning, that is where the authority really lies. And John wants them to anchor themselves in that. And so John calls for them to remain in the truth. Exercising discernment involves remaining or staying or abiding in the truth. Discernment is rooted in the truth of Scripture. And then in addition to calling his community to remain in the truth, John also calls them to trust the Spirit. Right? Exercising discernment involves trusting the Spirit. Look with me at 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, once again, John reminds his followers here of that important truth that the Holy Spirit remains in them, right? that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in them. And so because of that, right, they should not be uh, intimidated by or victimized by the, this claim of their opponents to have a unique prophetic gift. Right? Because those that have become faithful to this community, those that John is addressing, they have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. Right? They have been given a gift of equal power. Right? And so they don't need anyone to teach them. They don't need John to teach them, nor do they need these opponents to teach them. Right? They have been anointed by the Holy Spirit as well. And they should trust the Spirit to discern the truth. And they should do that confidently. John says later in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so John, with that context of the scriptures and the spirit within them, invites his community to test the spirits. He invites them to discern for themselves because they know the truth and they have the spirit of God living within them. And so discernment ultimately comes from being deeply rooted in the scriptures and trusting in the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit to guide us into that truth. Discernment comes from being deeply rooted in the scriptures and trusting in the presence and the voice of the Holy Spirit to guide us into that truth. And that wisdom that John has here from, for his community is wisdom that remains deeply relevant, I think, for us today as followers of Jesus as well. You know, we are very much living in a culture today where truth is something that is increasingly personal, increasingly relative, and increasingly subjective. A culture that, among other things, uh, tells us that we are what we do, uh, and that success is measured by things like wealth and status and accomplishment. 
a culture that, uh, as Henry Nouwen puts it in his book, Life of the Beloved, is filled with voices that shout things like, you are no good, you are ugly, you are worthless, you are nobody, unless you prove yourself otherwise. And all of that noise and all of that interference really underscores, I think, our continuous need for discernment. And it underscores how important it is for us to make room to listen to Scripture, how important it is for us to make room to listen to the Spirit, because those are the things that keep us rooted. Those are the things that keep us rooted in God's love. Those are the things that keep us rooted in God's grace. They're the things that keep us rooted in God's mercy. They're the things that keep us rooted in our identity as God's beloved sons and daughters. They keep us rooted in all of that in the very midst of all of those other voices and narratives that are competing for our attention. And one of the primary ways that we do that, one of the primary ways that we make room uh, is through spiritual practices, through practices around prayer, practices around reading the word, practices around listening to scripture, uh, practices around engaging with others who are walking alongside us along the same journey of faith. Uh, those are the things that, that keep us rooted. Those are the things that keep us connected to the Spirit's voice in a way that it enables us to be discerning. Now, earlier this morning, uh, during our announcements, uh, you heard John talk about a workshop that's coming up this Tuesday entitled Centered Living. And the Centered Living Workshop uh, is actually a great way to, to press into some of these very things that we're talking about this morning. It's a great way to explore and experiment with uh, some different spiritual practices that grow and deepen that connection with the Spirit and Scripture uh, that are at the very core of discernment. Again, this uh, workshop starts this Tuesday. It's going to be hosted at our Palo Alto campus. Anyone from Highway is, is welcome to join. It's from 7 to 9 p.m. Uh, and as John mentioned, if you're interested in, in uh, participating in that, uh, you can get more information or sign up out at the connections table or by emailing julie at julie at highway.org. But this is, a, uh, this is a great way to engage with practices that are at the very core of what it means to be attuned to the voice of the Spirit. And then uh, one other relevant resource that I'll mention, uh, a resource that I mentioned really briefly last week as we talked about the story of Zacchaeus together, is, a, uh, is an app that's available for iOS and Android that is a, a, a listening to scripture application. It's called Pray As You Go. And it's very simply a daily podcast. It's delivered over uh, an app application interface on your phone. It's a 10 to 12 minutes long where you listen to a passage from scripture consider some reflection questions that you are guided to, and then are prompted to pray. Uh, and this, as well, is a great way, one of my personal favorite ways, to engage with the Spirit, to be involved in the discipline of listening to Scripture, and to open up that space um, on a regular basis. But whatever it is, that the, whatever the practice is, uh, what's important is that we are actively attuning ourselves to the voice of the Spirit. And then if 
you're in need of a new practice, a new year is a great time for a new practice. But what are the ways that you are making room uh, to listen to scripture? What are the ways that you are making room to attune yourself to the voice of the spirit? Because those are the things ultimately that keep Jesus at the center in a way that enables us to stay rooted to him uh, in the midst of everything else that we are encountering and navigating. Uh, Nick is going to come and lead us in a song now as we close, called actually Jesus at the Center. Uh, and my hope and prayer is that this song will be our prayer this morning, uh, both as individuals and as a community. Right, That we would, inspired by John's wisdom this morning, keep the spirit of Jesus at the center. And that as we do that, that he would give us wisdom and discernment uh, as we follow after him and live as missionaries in the various places where he has sent us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful this morning for the gift of this window that you have given us into this conflict in this church community uh, through your scriptures. And we're grateful for the way that John's counsel and wisdom for this community long ago continues to be relevant for us today as your followers, as we seek to stay centered on you in the midst of all of the other narratives that we have and that we're hearing all of the time. We thank you, Father, for the reminder this morning of the truth that just like John's followers, as your followers today, we too have the presence of your spirit dwelling within us. to remind us of the things that you have said and very importantly, to guide us into all truth. And so, Father, I pray this morning that we would be making room to attune ourselves to your voice. And that as we do that, God, in the midst of all the other voices and narratives that we hear, that you would be rooting us to the truth of your active and unconditional and undeserved love for us. That you would be rooting us to the boundless depths of your grace. that you would be rooting us to your abundant mercy and goodness. And that you would be rooting us to the identity that we have in you. Our identity as your beloved sons and daughters. Would you speak your wisdom to us through your spirit? And would we open ourselves up, Lord, to your counsel that we might be 
discerning. Able to understand the difference between the truth and the lies. Able to test the spirits with confidence, knowing that we are rooted in you. Lord, would you be at our very center? Amen.